Is there someone here you wish to communicate with? John. Help. Help. and daughter in a car crash, a music professor staying in a long, vacant Seattle mansion is dragged into a decades-old mystery by an inexplicable presence in the mansion's attic. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the theater. My name is Shannon Young. Tonight on Extras and Epilogues, we'll be talking about the 1980 horror... That's the joke in itself, is that it's a horror film. It's not a horror film. We're talking about the, the haunted house film, The Changeling. Here on uh, on E and E, and with me, of course, really quick. Let's let's get to the other members of the cast here. Uh, Hunter Hendricks is here as as per per usual, per contract. Call me uh, call me Joseph tonight. Just but call me Joseph. But he's not the real Joseph. Also with us tonight, <laughs> Lindsay Wolfgang, who did watch this film. Why does one guy need to stay in a house that big? Because if you could, you would too. I would. Exactly. Why wouldn't you? Because he's rich. Because he's George C. fucking Scott. That's true. That's you gotta also t- very true. You're going to tell George C. Scott what to do? Uh, <laughs> no. Last Although, one. importantly, my, my wife made the same note. As soon as it happened, she's like, Mm-mm. it wasn't It wasn't that she was mad about it. She went, Mm-mm, I wouldn't do that. Too much. Too much house. Can't do it. I'm choking on my own whatever here. <laughs> Sorry. I'm still, I'm still ill, so I'm going to be swallowing mucus every five seconds. I apologize. <laughs> I thought you just didn't like the bit. I was like, pause for groans. No, I'm pause for groans. I'm sitting there trying to swallow mucus down so I can talk again. It's oh. disgusting. It's mm. absolutely horrible. I'm sure it sounds great. Delicious and uh, nutritious. Tonight's episode of Extras and Epilogues is brought to you by your own mucus. <laughs> Build your own your, mucus, man. Your, your own mucus. Uh, you can't live with it and you can't live without it. <laughs> hey, before we get started on the show tonight, special shout out to Zane Laney. Who took the time to message me a very fine message uh, last night slash this morning? Hunter, he listened to our episode of Rocky, really liked it, yeah. and um, oh, cool. I'm gonna pull it up real quick because he did have a note for us. He wanted he wanted mm-hmm. us to know. Let me. I got a lot of messages, Zane. I'm so sorry, man. Okay, here we go. It was one of my it was one of my favorite movies we've watched in a while. Uh, he said, "You guys need to watch at least Rocky two and three. I absolutely love the Rocky series, and two or three are great movies. Four is also good, but more of a popcorn flick, and five is just okay." Sly himself, now we talking about Sylvester Stallone, not me, of course. Even admits to wishing he hadn't made it. Balboa, the sixth film, is also great, but only if you like the others. Two and three are great, and I really think you guys should watch them. Creed movies are also pretty great, but they focus on Adonis more than Rocky, anyways. That's my unmasked opinion on the Rocky films. And then <laughs> he threw this in little fun fact on Tommy Gunn. Uh, we talked about during that as you said yeah. he, he was a great boxer he was even compared to tyson in his prime he then turned to oh, drugs shit. ruined his career and died of aids hope all is well my friend uh. <laughs> the, 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 See, zane. zane just gets us yeah zane gets us he just that's, gets that's us. the kind of yeah, so, I had told Shannon off the air when you guys were saying um, A Star is Born and the new remake well the 70s version was also a remake because the original had Judy Garland in it holy shit yeah, yeah but I if, if Zane Lady doesn't free. tell me that I don't know 
Right. I got it. He's going to have to write it. I think Zane Laney watched A Star is Born with Barbara Streisand. That's not, that's not the point. Oh. That's not the point. I just have to hear it from him. I feel like that's a challenge laid out. Zane Laney messaged me back. Have you watched A Star is Born with, Bi- with I, uh, Barbie Streisand? Barbie Streisand. With, with hey. Babs. Hey. I do plan I do plan on watching the, the rest of the Rocky movies. I have not had time because mostly my movie watching has been contained to this. stuff we've been doing for yeah. the show. But I, w- I would love to follow up on that. I have seen the first two Creed movies, and I like those quite a bit. Um, but I recognize now, even just I, I, the other day after we did that show, I was kind of just reading some summaries of some of the other things. Uh, and I realize now there are definitely some things in the first Creed movie I did not get. Mm. Like the, his his uh, Rocky's Italian restaurant, of course, is called Adrian's, um, and that's what he's doing. Like in his retirement, I had no idea all that stuff was like an end. I knew roughly that he he called out Adrian for some reason. I hell, I thought Adrian was the manager. I didn't know until I saw the, the <laughs> first one. So uh, yeah, I, I I would like to go back through and watch all those again. But I mean, shit, if I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. We're gonna watch four. We're gonna watch five. We're gonna watch the whole. You definitely want to watch three because three has Hulk Hogan as Thunder Lips. Oh, yeah. Oh, I it's the, remember. It's the I'm It's the best part. Uh, this is a pretty good show to talk about this on. It's not going to be the topic, of course, because we're going to talk about the Changeling starring George C. Scott. But um, I've had a couple people reach out to me and ask me what my opinion is on the fact that, you know, because we review movies here on the show. It's 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 my right. favorite show on the network. And well, we do. I've been asked, what are your thoughts on Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig being snubbed for Barbie? Uh, meanwhile, Ken... Uh, or sorry, it's not his name. Ryan Gosling nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Ken and American Ferreira um, nominated. Which is what you said yesterday. Right. Yes. Support, it was Best Supporting <laughs> Actors. Um, I, we were talking about this the other day, and I don't think just because one person is nominated doesn't necessarily mean two people need to be nominated. You, you, There are plenty of films out there where the co-star right. is a shining you know, star and the main yeah. star kind of phones it in or whatever. So just because I, I don't think just because Ryan Gosling was nominated means necessarily that Margot Robbie had to be nominated. I'm a little bit more upset that Greta Gerwig wasn't nominated. Now, yeah, yes. I'm more upset on that one. With that said, I think Margot Robbie should have been nominated because I think she was fantastic. Yes. But it it's not unheard of for a film to have one star that does particularly well. I mean, look at uh, Tombstone. You know, we always talk about how great the movie is, but Val Kilmer was the shining star in that. He he his portrayal of Doc Holliday is what people will remember. If they had nominated, you know, Val Kilmer for best supporting actor but not Kurt Russell for best actor, it would be understandable because it's as good yeah. of a job as Kurt Russell did, Val Kilmer just did that much better. And I think that I, I think that Ryan Gosling did kind of upstage everybody in Barbie because his character was get, kind of given more range to do things. Um, but with that you said, you know what bothers me? You know what bothers? I'm sorry, I have to interject here. You know what bothers me the most about this? Hmm. It's just the plot of it's the, the plot of the movie. Movie, Barbie. Yeah. movie, yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's just the plot of the movie. It's playing out in real life. I'm also I'm looking at a list of the people who were, unless I'm looking at the wrong thing. The Academy Awards is what we're talking about, right? I believe yeah. so. Yeah. So I'm looking at the people who were nominated and as per usual, because again, a lot of stuff is just award season based. I, there are movies here that I have never even heard oh of. God. I thought I muted that. I, I so, so then me, what, what happened? I thought I muted it as I'm sniffling to death here. Hold oh. on. Go ahead. Keep talking. I'm going to mute it this time. I didn't hear you. Um, 
so Emma Stone has been nominated for poor things, which I've, I've heard is good, and, and she turns in a great performance. Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon. I haven't seen it, but you knew that thing was going to be up there. Did anyone see, is it Nyad? N-Y-A-D? Annette Benning was in these. Was in this movie? Well, Killers of the Flower Moon is Martin Scorsese, so of course it was going to get nominated because basically you just have to have his Legally name. Legally it had it to. Yeah, it's, exactly. it's like law. Um, yeah. Carrie Mulligan for Maestro? I mean, I know Carrie Mulligan, but I, I don't know what this movie is. I, I do love Carrie Mulligan, though. She's great. And then Sandra Hewler, because there's an umlaut, so I guess it's Hewler, for Anatomy of a Fall? I have no idea. I have not even heard of this movie. Um one thing that consistently drives me nuts about award season and award shows and the Academy and all these other, I, I feel like you're not allowed to be popular anymore and win no. these things. You're just no. not, yeah. you're not allowed to be well known to the public conscience and win them. And that's why on a personal level, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm just Eric Andre with baseball. I don't give a shit about awards. I don't care. I, um, unless I'm I nominated, why, I don't care. Right. I understand why other people care. And so I'll engage in that kind of discussion there, but you're never going to hear me going, Oh, I just, you know, go on a rant about how I can't believe somebody didn't win an award because most of the time I'm going, yeah, well, it was a handful of people. I said this with the the video game awards when they came through and it was like, Oh man, Spider-Man two got snubbed. All right. Well, I still loved it. <clears throat> and I love, I'm loving it a lot more than a bunch of the other games that were nominated. And, and that's really all that matters to me at the end of the day. It's a shame. Those people didn't get recognized Dude, well, um, and the same here, but it's, you know. it's the, it's the problem when things are, objective or subjective when things are subjective right. you're going to disagree that's basically yes. what this show is built on hunter and i disagree on movies a lot sometimes and sure. it it you know it doesn't mean one of us is right and the other one's wrong it's all a matter of right. personal opinion a movie what was it gremlins hunter notoriously strongly disliked gremlins but gremlins is a beloved yep. film you know yep. it's it's absolutely beloved so that's the problem i said I think I said when we were reviewing it, like you, I, I get the that wrong. I'm yeah. kind of in the wrong right. in the sense that, yeah, I'm, I'm not on the popular opinion side of it. And that just right. happens sometimes. Now, there is, there is objective, you know, measurements here in the sense that like, look at, look at a performance like Ron Gosling. As Ken. Well, just, I mean, it, acting, acting is also kind of subjective. You can, you can, yes. two people can watch the same person in a role and get something different from them. But there are matters where you compare somebody like Neil Breen to bring up someone we reviewed recently to a Ryan Gosling, and you can see the different levels of acting. You can objectively sure. say Ryan Gosling is a better actor than Neil Breen. But when you have talented people all competing with each other, it's it's hard it's hard to pick and choose. And it's just an award show. It's a circle jerk. So yeah, at the end of the day, it's really not that big of a deal. But I do feel that she was robbed. Her and Greta Gerwig were both robbed. Absolutely. Yeah, it's frustrating. It's yeah. frustrating for sure. Okay, now that that rant's over, let's talk. <laughs> let's talk about the Changeling, a movie I can best compare to. I don't know, Tokyo Gore Police. And what? And you I'll, just, you just to say that really wanted again. to mention it. You just wanted to mention it. That's actually, it. actually, That's I all. do. I do have a connection, and I'll bring it up here in a second. But first, let's give okay, the stats okay. for the film. Uh, released on March 28, 1980, so none of us were born when this movie was made. Nope. Congrats. Nope. Is this the oldest film we've reviewed? No. No, heck no. Uh, the Thing the thing was older than that. Willy Wonka was older than that. It came out in the 70s. Yeah. yeah okay. Rocky was Wonka older than might... that. Okay, everybody. Oh, actually, okay, shit, everybody. Rocky might be the oldest one. Let's not all pile on. I'm still sick. <clears throat> Rocky is 76. Was uh, Willy Wonka before that? I think, Willy I think that was Wonka 1958. Was that. Or close to it. 
Yeah, well, Wonka was way back there. You keep talking, I'll figure it out. I got the list. I'm all right. Stupid. Released March 28, 1980. Directed and written, or ri- directed by Peter Medak. Medak? Written by Medic, William Gray and Diana Maddox. Starring the great George C. Scott, who I thought put in a fantastic performance in this movie. And Absolutely. Then, and then there was everybody else. Um, Trish Van Dever, Devere, and Melvin Douglas. Who was who was that was uh, George C. Scott's wife at the time. So the the woman who plays like the the main female kind of lead in the movie. Yeah. Um, that's that's his. That was his real life wife at that time. Nice. Oh, okay. Running time. Running time. Runtime of a hundred. <laughs> I'm really. I'm still recovering. Runtime of 107 uh, minutes. A budget versus. No, you let me finish. Budget versus box I office. Will. Six million dollars versus twelve million dollars. It made uh, twice its budget. So not bad, especially for a movie like this. And we'll we'll tell you it's, what that means here in a second. It's a uh, this is a Canadian film, by the way, which I didn't put in here. And that's what, what I was going to mention there. So you got to do those numbers in uh, in Canadian money. Uh, no, but really, it, it's uh, it's kind of a cult film. This is, this is a movie that took on a life of its own afterward. And so it was one of those oh. things that that uh, I don't want to say Canada kind of hangs its hat on. But it's it's like a when you talk about Canadian like cinema, cause it really isn't a lot of that. It seems like that kind of breaks through into the, the mainstream. This is one of those things that they, they, I guess in a way kind of hang their hat on. Like this is the Canadian horror film. Yeah. And we'll get there in a second. Critical reception, 83% critical approval rating on rotten tomatoes. It's an average review of 7.5 out of 10, 2.5 out of four stars from Roger Ebert, who said, if it only took craftsmanship to make a haunted house movie, the changeling would be a great one, but it doesn't have that sneaky sense of awful things about to happen. Scott makes the hero so rational, normal, and self-possessed that we never feel he's in real danger. We go through this movie with too much confidence. Well, goddamn, I didn't read that beforehand. Yeah, that's my entire argument. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks, Roger. Um. And and he's right, and I know we're going to talk about it, but all that being said, oh, uh, quickly while I'm thinking of it, Willy Wonka is the oldest movie, uh, 71. That's the oldest one that we reviewed so far, so nothing past 71. Um, he's, he's right about all that, and that, that did not in any way um, – well, I don't want to say in any way, but it, it didn't really damage my opinion of the movie. Um, well, me neither, but that's because – I stopped thinking of it, stopped thinking of it as a horror film very early. That's why I kept saying horror Same. should be in quotes. It's a mystery. It's it's a murder yes. mystery. It's not a horror it's film. We were sitting there it's a haunted house. Who mystery. did what? Right. Yeah. And I didn't really care who did what to who. Honestly, um, I don't know how to say it. Say it correctly. Well, for, first, let's talk about the story. Let's tell everybody what's about because I bet there's a lot of people who haven't seen this movie. It's sure. uh, George C. Scott it's plays. A, uh, oh, it's on ahead. Peacock, by the way. Yes. I was just gonna say it's on, it's on Peacock. So if yes. you have access to it, you can watch it without having to try to find it through some back channel. It's part of their deal. The Changeling 1980. It'll come right up. So go watch it now. We'll wait and come right back. Yeah. So, wait. What are you guys? What have you been doing? Just hanging out. Uh, I'm into this puzzle over. game on my phone right now. She's been playing that. Ah, shit, I left my cup of ball in the other room. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm really into that cup of ball. Okay, and we're back. Uh, yeah, we're back. So, George C. Scott plays a music professor who, at the very beginning of the movie, it's, it's to me, it's actually one of the all-time great um, movie intros. They're on a, and I'm, it's hard to talk sometimes. I'm sorry. They're they're on a old uh, snowy road and their car breaks down. So him and his wife and his young daughter, they push the car. He goes to make a phone call to to call for help. Meanwhile, roadside wh- assistance. And while they're playing in the snow, they don't see a car and a big old. Well, it's not a semi, was it? It was more like a 
like yeah, a, it was it was a tractor trailer. Yeah, it was it was a semi technically. Uh, it, yeah. it it didn't look like a modern one because it wasn't, but yeah, right. yeah, it was. They're coming down the road at the same time. They swerve to avoid hitting each other, and the the wife and the daughter are run over and killed in the very beginning of the film. Really With sets their the tone. own car. Yeah, really sets the tone for the film. Yeah. We then see him kind of putting his life back together afterwards. He ends up moving out of his apartment and renting a house from the historical society that is gigantic and clearly haunted without even stepping Which inside my, of it. My argument is if you're dealing with grief... Again, why would you want to be in a place so, that large by yourself? Real real quick, you guys did catch that he moved across the country, right? Yes, yeah. he moved from New York okay. to Seattle. Okay, I was going to say, I felt like that was not like a huge critical plot point, but it wasn't like he left a little apartment, yeah, for a yeah. gigantic house. He went to a different place to give the series of lectures, and so yeah. he had to, to rent a, a place temporarily there. Um and it, that it is the place that he chose is is interesting, but I I will say quickly in defense it was of it. Nice. I mean, the, well, and he's also he's a composer. This is a guy who's going to be yeah. playing the piano all the time. Right. So needing a place to do that in your home where you're not going to be disturbing neighbors, where you've got yeah. a good reverberation and good sound. And it had a music I mean, they room. literally said, "Here's the music room." Yeah, yeah. here's the music room. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I, as ridiculous to a certain degree as it is when you're watching what is ostensibly a horror movie and you go, well, don't go in there. That's yeah. a terrible place to go in. You shouldn't go into that place. At least there's some logic behind it, even if they don't spell it out word for word. I want to know how much he was paying per month. Right? I, I want to like, know what his curiosity. rent was. Well, well it, it's a historical society place and they're they're renting it, which makes it sound like they wanted... That was maybe the part that bumped me more than anything. It made it sound like they wanted a caretaker, but then they had a caretaker. They had two caretakers, as a matter right. of fact. Apparently, one person who cleaned and one per- well, apparently person who did maintenance. As we found out later, he wasn't supposed to rent it in the first place. It wasn't supposed to be for rent. Right. right. <clears throat> so, who the fuck knows? Uh, all I know is who that... Knows? We then uh, he he meets the woman from the historical society that that puts it all together. They become friends, and as he goes about his daily you know day to day things and he's getting his life back together, slowly becomes apparent that the house is haunted, and he then tries to figure out what's haunting him and why. And I actually so Roger Ebert said this in his review about the the realism. That is one thing that I noticed. Two things that I noticed about this movie specifically was the realistic tone that it had about what could potentially be ghosts. Like it, it wasn't a over the top, yeah. you know, farce. This is it was a very real, real response to it. And I just really quick before I forget the music. The moment the movie yeah. started, the yeah. the the soundtrack, the the background the cues, score the really score good. was was yeah. great. I mean, this was haunted yeah. house. <laughs> thumbs up to a T. The music was amazing. I, I can't stress yeah. that enough how much I love the music in this film. Um, there's I a, appreciated the caretaker when he's complaining about it first. He's like, it's an old house, man. It makes noises. And he's right. Yeah. I thought it was that son of a bitch at first. I didn't realize the gravity of the <laughs> timeline there. There's a part early on in the film where he is um, uh, he's out riding horses, I believe, with this, this woman who's been helping him, yeah. the, the girl from the Historical Society. And when he recalls how much his daughter loved horses, one of the next scenes, like the next scene you see is him in bed crying. And I love yeah. that. I love that because oh, it, yeah. it felt so real and emotional. Again, George C. Scott is such a good actor and he put in such a, a great performance here. Now, the reason I said I compared it to Tokyo Gore Police is, and I mean this, is because it's a good, how do I word this correctly? Because I did like Tokyo Gore Police. One of the criticisms you had of it was that 
the main actress, I forget her name, I apologize, who was also an audition, uh, she looked bored. Yeah, Ruka was the character. I can't yeah. think of the person's. Yeah. You said you said she looked bored through the film. George C. Scott also kind of looked bored in this film through the whole thing. He was so reserved for the most part. Oh, I disagree. But, well, I didn't no, think no, he no, well, hold on, hold on. Let me go finish. Ahead, let me ahead. finish. But what oh, I what yeah. I mean is they both had that reserved PTSD look to them because I think that's what both characters were going for. But his bored look wasn't bored. His bored look was more of someone who has been through stuff and is and you could see the emotion in his face even when he doesn't show emotion on his face. I don't know how to describe it. You could see it on him all the time. Whereas the girl you in see it in his eyes more yes, than his full his, his, his countenance. It's his countenance. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you, didn't, you didn't get that with Tokyo Gore Police. She just looked dull. She just had a blank expression most of the time, or she didn't look like she didn't want to be there. George C. Scott see, looked like he didn't want to be there. But it's because being a good actor, yeah, well, and well, getting that, paid next to nothing to be in a movie. <laughs> I, I wouldn't go as far as to say she's not a good actor. I just think maybe she misinterpreted well, the character. Well, you could also blame it on the director. Well, I mean, you saw well, audition theoretically. You know, you said theoretically, yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, audition was was. I don't know. You can also you you can also have a you know flash in the pan. Well, it's um, it's also. I hate to bring it up again, but I'm gonna do it. The difference between East and West, like our how we view our actors yeah. versus how they view their actors. Um, all I know is so from why is my side else of it. In that movie? No, no, I'm not gonna keep talking about Tokyo Tokyo Gore Police. No, we can talk um, about it part two. No, I'm fine. With I'm it. good. I'd rather I'd rather not. No way. Uh, the That's more, your the, choice. The more we get away from it, the more I hated it. Uh, That's why anyway. I keep bringing it back. I know. Anyway, talk um, about this one. No, no part of me took any of that. For okay, the only thing that kind of bumped me was honestly, I would have put it off on on the direction, um, and it's kind of in the notes there. Peter Medic, who who directed this movie, was intimidated by George C. Scott. He had uh, been told that he was difficult to work with, and that he he might have you know trouble with him on the set. He later said the only time that uh he you know ever had any trouble with him was that there were some production manners that accidentally knocked over a chessboard and scott had been playing the game against himself for two weeks and so he was upset oh. about that but the rest yeah. of it was and, and that's that's fucking reasonable man like i'd be mad about that too um but the rest of it was fine. But I feel like you can tell early on he's just kind of letting George C. Scott do whatever he wants. And I feel like he maybe did need a little more direction. But I never took it as as bored. I did take it as calmer than I would have expected. And that bumped me more than anything. It didn't read as bored to me. It just read as, I need you to be a little more upset about the things that are happening around you. Because this man is a composer and he very quickly becomes a private investigator with like yeah. next to nothing between one and the other. And he, um, he shows if anything bothered me. It was that he shows plenty of emotion in that scene where he's crying. So, you know, he's a good actor. He's got the range, but for the most right. part, he kept it so neutral. And that's what I maybe well, board was a bad I, maybe, on me. That's a bad way to describe it. I meant more of a neutral him and the girl from Tokyo Gore police both had a very neutral look for the entire film. But his, I think, made more sense, whereas hers felt more disinterested. He never struck Sarah me as disinterested. About this. We talked about it while the, while the movie was going on, about the, this specific thing. And again, I, I maybe did more legwork for the movie than the, the movie should have done for itself. But, I mean, we see right out of the, the gate with his his daughter and his wife being killed the way they were. Yes, part of the reason for that happening is to tie him to what happens as the movie goes on. 
But another big part of it, I think, is to kind of tell you who he is as a person. So that big outpouring of emotion we see with him just, you know, crying, bawling in bed is very different from the rest of the time. I think he's, yeah, I don't want to call it PTSD, but I think he's, yeah, he, he's, he is numb in a lot of ways to the, to the world. And so, um, I think probably that has a lot to do with it as well. Well, that's, and that's, that's what I mean. That's, I think the best description of it. I think both characters, and this is the last time I'll compare him, I promise, but I think both characters are meant to be numb because of what's happened to them. But I think yeah. one actor portrayed it better than the other because George C. Scott made me believe that yeah. he was numb because he was so shook by what had happened, losing his wife and his daughter. Right. Um, I said the realism of reacting to what could potentially be a ghost. And that is true to an extent, but I do believe at some point when it stops being, Oh, I heard weird noises in the house and it's full on. There is literally a ghost tormenting me. You get a little bit more reactive than he did for a majority of that film. There is a part yeah. later on where he finally he does very accepting well, well, until the towards the end. He, he gets in the house. He starts screaming. He calls. I think he calls a little bastard. He's like, what do you want from me? And he's screaming it. And I'm like, yes, get angry. What does this ghost yeah. want from you? Why is he yeah. fucking with you? You know? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know. I don't entirely disagree with that. But if anything, I was more upset with the. um the turn of him to just he's obviously a smart guy he's obviously meant to be an intelligent character uh but he very quickly starts doing the police's job better than them and if yeah. anything that bumped me more than the you know how he reacts to the things around him because at a certain point you know yes early on i was sort of like okay well why is he not like screaming and crying and upset about this he does pass out like at one point in time yeah. while he's on the phone, yeah. um, he does very much make a point to leave the house when it gets dangerous. Uh, he only runs back well, in when he's trying to to finish, you know, what's been started. Um, that's the other I don't thing. Know. I, Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, 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 no go ahead. That's, that's the other thing. I questioned what is the power level of this ghost? Because on one hand, he's he's knocking balls downstairs. He's closing and opening Busting doors. windows. In other parts, he apparently causes the murder of a man driving a car. Um, at the end, he burns the house down and almost kills people with him. Like, what? Is he mad because justice isn't served? Could he always do yes. this? Well, if he could always do this, why didn't he just kill the guy? Why didn't he kill the guy but that he, took his place? He, he didn't have that connection to him. He didn't have any way of being connected to him. It wasn't until that christening medal was presented to him and he knew then what was going on. And I don't think in the end he did, he did kill the guy. I think when, and now we're jumping way ahead, but when the version of the, the, the changeling, the one that took his place shows up in the house and is walking up the steps. I mean, that's obviously just him after he's already dead. These things aren't really happening concurrently. Um, oh, see, I thought, it, I thought it was metal, astral projection. I assumed that it was, I mean, you know what I mean? It could be that too. But, yeah. but at that point, he's he's coming to grips with his whole world falling down around him. And right. he also appears to have, have a heart attack and die. Oh, yeah, no, no. I, so, I didn't mean him. I didn't mean him. I mean, why did he kill the cop? Like, yeah, that was well, a confusing okay. part for me. Again, maybe I'm doing more like work than the movie did, but this is probably the first time the cop's ever been in the house, right? So now he's got some connection to him. Uh, the cop was also very much trying to impede the truth getting out. That's that true. was the whole thing there. Yeah. And yeah. so with, with uh, you know, uh, shit, what's his name? George C. Scott's character. Russell. Russell. 
Russell's yeah. last name. John Russell. Yeah. With, with, with John Russell finally getting close to, you know, getting something to happen, that's why he keeps seemingly, you know, making more noise and trying to get his attention and trying to push him toward what's going on um, with this guy trying to impede it. Now, now, how he does that, I don't know. That That's definitely, you know, out of the realm of of reality but at a certain point the whole movie's out of the realm of reality it's a movie so, you have to just suspend your disbelief right. but yeah i yeah. mean i think you've done more to explain it like you said than they did and I, that's not a criticism because the movie i didn't think it was bad sure. it's just little things like that you kind of go but why did this happen you know we question yeah. other things so i feel it's fair we got to question this the the fact that the guy the, the cop they just find him cars turned upside down with the window shot out it looks like and he's dead like why did the kid kill him why what what is the level of this kid why you know like they don't really explain certain things and and some things shouldn't have to be explained i like mystery in a film i don't need everything to be spelled out for me um but it it, it did feel a little odd at times and I, I also pointed this out to Lindsay. i said i was going to mention it when the father drowns the kid the weirdest yeah. way to drown a kid to just lift his legs up and let him sink into it and i said why doesn't he just grab the sides of the tub and pull his head out of the water he's got more than enough space for that well, again, he though, was, the, he was, the level he of was invalid. like he could flail, but like you don't know that he had any movement in his back that if he did get up there that he could. Yeah, uh, did they, did they that ever, was the whole thing. That's it. why he lifted his legs up that way. That's well, what the wheelchair was for. Well, I was going to ask, did they ever explain the level of how much he was crippled? Like, did they say he couldn't walk or he, he couldn't? He, he had a wheelchair in the 20s, so I'm going to go with pretty fucking bad. <laughs> I mean, wheelchairs have been around for many years. A lot of people are are using them these days, and and also them. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest <laughs> with you. Becoming a Donald Trump speech at this point. I'll be honest with you. There was a part of the movie where I started to fall asleep, and I missed this part. Okay, I'm gonna be honest. Yeah. I'm, You're also sick, and that's I'm, fine. I'm, I'm on medication. Yeah. I felt I I tried to stay awake for all of it, and for the most part, I did. But I did miss probably the. F- from from about 15 minutes into about 30 35 40 it's very hit or miss for me so if they did say what had happened and like to what level he was crippled i did miss that so that's on me i don't know that they i don't know that they went in depth into it um but there's they definitely a stressed lot of, that he was sickly and right right he was going not, to die well i mean that was yeah. that was the whole point of the plot was he's the one who inherits the money but if he dies before he's 21 he and thus his family doesn't get it so all the money than go to try charity. To, Right. So rather than try to save him, they kill him off and replace him with a with a changeling, which is awful. And it makes the movie title make more sense than if you go into this thinking it's just a haunted house film. Right. I I honestly, when you pitched this movie to me and all I knew was the I thought it was like a classic changeling. Yeah. Right. I went to like Irish lore. This is the you know, the child's been replaced with a thing that looks like it, but it isn't really it. I just assumed. And then when the child dies immediately at the beginning of the movie, I'm like, um, that ain't it. That ain't it. (laughs) Not that thing. She ain't Uh, funny. I really liked the way the ghost was portrayed. I know I said I questioned to his power level, but I do like that it was very subtle. It was subtle creepiness. Yeah. This is what you think of when you think of a haunted house film. Unlike a yeah. movie like, um, I don't know, 13 Ghosts or House on Haunted Hill. This is a much way more, over the top. Uh, way over the top. This is a much more realistic setting. But the only problem with it, and it's the same problem that Roger Ebert had with it, is that at no point in the movie, except for maybe the end, did you ever feel like anyone was in any danger? That's why I said it's a murder mystery and not a horror film. The ghost up yeah. until the end, literally, was not scary in any way. He wasn't, and it wasn't meant to scare you. Like they weren't oh, trying to scare you. Really, you thought it was really. I thought I thought there were moments where one of the things I really liked about this movie in terms of of you know quote unquote scariness was that it wasn't over the top. 
And it has a retroactive benefit because, of course, Roger Ebert was, I'm assuming, reviewing this when it came out in 1980. Yeah. We're reviewing it in 2024, so damn near 50 years later. Uh-huh. What has the number one thing been in horror for the past, what, now at least decade, probably closer to 20 years? What Zombies? does everybody do in a horror movie? No, 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 no. Like, uh, like what's the go-to way to scare people? Uh, jump scares. Jump scares. Not a single jump, jump scare. scare. Yeah, not a single jump scare. And there were so many. This is why I say retroactively benefits from that. There were so many moments in this movie where it just was so obvious. That's what was going to happen yeah. if it was made in 20 anytime from 2010 to oh, now. For, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Every time that he walks through the house, every time that and the, the fucking anytime there was water, movie, they could have showed the kids face. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and even when they did, it was never a jump scare. It was always a, like, oh, shit, this is happening now. And you're just going to have to dwell on it. Yeah. Um, the cinematography in this movie was. Was great i love the, yes. they, they did that thing where they they used a lack of transitions so instead of like a wipe or a, or a blackout between scenes you would see you know the ball fall down the steps in reality and then also fall down you know in in the the past or something like that yeah um one of the things I loved about that was anytime that he's walking through the house, that he's digging through stuff, that anybody's walking through the house, you're waiting almost on that jump scare. That's not going to happen. And right. that's much better than if it really does because the anticipation of it just builds up that horror. Um, that scene where they uh, – I'm sorry, not where they – where the, the girl uncovers the well in the house where the kid's body was buried yeah. was terrifying in the best way to me because yeah. it was legitimately creepy the build-up to what was going to happen you knew what was going to take place but you didn't want to see it you knew he was going to be there especially when the little girl goes in there in the evening or in the night like in the middle of the night and sees this happening that was legitimately creepy to me I, because not only is it very real um but it validates a lot of what has happened up to that point it's a big payoff moment i think there's a difference between creepy and terrifying though Creepy it was. Yeah, but what's what's terrifying at this point, honestly, man? I don't I know. Could, Maybe I I'm just too you. cynical. Yeah, but no, like, I, I couldn't tell I, you. I, yeah. I haven't been scared by a movie. This is the closest I think I've been to being scared by a movie in a very long time. The only time I'm ever scared of a horror movie anymore is if it's a jump scare and it's a loud noise. And it's not because I'm scared. Like, it's because my reaction to a loud noise. Right. Now, exactly. So I don't look for I don't look for terrifying in a movie. I look for creep factor. Creep factor to me is more important than scare because it's hard to scare me. I'm I'm like 63 years old and desensitized to it. I've seen I, I'm, Hunter. I'm like Crashmore. I've seen every horror film on the planet. It's hard for me to get scared by a scary movie, but the creep factor. And that's what I loved about a movie like hereditary hereditary. Wasn't scary, but the, the yeah. creep factor was so intense. I mean, it just got in, yeah. under your skin and this movie was very good at being creepy. I will disagree on one thing though. I don't think the, the girl coming upon the, the well, I loved everything except the reveal of the boy in the water because it wasn't scary. It was just a boy in the water. I feel like that part alone, that one he was time talking, I he feel, literally talked from under the water. That I, didn't get you. I, that no, messed me up, man. Like no, that was no. the, the one moment in the story where I was like, Oh shit. No. Okay. you gonna be it, thinking about that one later. It, it didn't get me. It, it didn't get me. And that, that's not, that's uh, uh, maybe it's the medicine, but I think that particular moment <laughs> could have used a little bit more of an, if there was ever a jump scare to be had in a film to me, that was the moment because you have built it up over the what at that point the course of probably an hour you know something terrible is going to happen to me that is yeah. when you actually do a jump scare it's not randomly out of nowhere to scare you because it's a loud noise it's the build up of the anticipation and you finally get the payoff 
Um, I, don't I don't feel know, like there was did, a payoff. They had him open his eyes. They had him. They had him talk from under there. That was enough for me because there was the slow build of she's walking into the room. That was she's great. Looking down. That was a nerve. There's the water. Yeah. There's the body. There's the eyes. And then he talks. I, I don't. I don't know what else you could do. But we'll we'll have to agree to disagree on that one. This, if, this if it was here. me, if it was me, it would have been something like she walks in, she sees the hole, but she doesn't see the boy. She creeps up closer to it. She's terrified. She peeks down into the well, and then maybe you get a hand come out of the well and touch her foot or something. And then she, you know, there's your jump scare scream, something like that. I, I thought it yeah. just it wasn't enough. But again, that it's differing opinions. That, that's what I was talking about. Right. Subjective. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's being subjective. We all disagree on what we would have done. Um, but I think they made a fine film. The the the, the wrap up was nice. I, I thought. Um, the guy defending his father at the end before realizing what a bastard he was, was well done. It was all well done. Oh, what a scene. What yes. a scene, man. Granted, not, not a, again, not a scary scene in any way. This is the, the full mystery part of the movie. None of this is scary at all. Right. But that scene between George C. Scott and the, I, I didn't catch the actor. Melvin name, Douglas. The guy who plays the, Melvin Douglas, who, who plays the, the, the change. Carmichael. I say it that way every yeah. time. Um, <laughs> the, the one who replaced the, the child who died. That scene between the two of them, uh, is just so well it, it felt like a matlock scene honestly yeah. you know you just like tension the entire time yeah like because he was he's... gonna walk out and do the i'm sorry one more thing you know just <laughs> but, turn but, and, and because he was the medallion he wasn't the bad guy that's important to remember right. he's not a bad guy right. he's innocent in this too he didn't know this he he never and, knew his father was terrible like that um right it, and the moment he probably that just knew this person is adopting me and now he's my dad well, the moment that is presented to him, he has a, a reaction that we don't want to believe, but that everyone in that position would do. And anyone who is told, by the way, you replaced a kid who should have had the life you had. None of this the guy is who yours. adopted you is a murdering bastard. Yeah. Anyone would have a reaction if you get the fuck out of here. I'm not going to listen to that. This person took care of me. Well, you know, plus, they, they gave me the finest things. We keep saying adopted. He wasn't adopted per se. He was adopted, but he was forced into that role of the same kid it's not like here's my new kid it was this is the same kid they just killed the other right. one i mean back then him. though if you adopted kids you changed their names that i i don't know what the procedures now are as far as that goes right, but, but like but they said in, in the older film, records they they would rename the kid but they said in the film that he took his son quote unquote to this other country and he was miraculously healed healed and now it's him it's not like he adopted a new kid because his kid died he covered up the fact that the kid was dead and then replaced that kid with this kid under the same name, pretending it was the same kid. But the right. kid wouldn't know. That's what I'm saying. The kid yeah. doesn't. The, but kid the kid wouldn't have to know that he was pretending to be sick. That would just be what the dad passed on after the fact when they came back. But the kid didn't know he was adopted as far as the kid knew because he was a little child. This was his family the whole time. He didn't even know that he was adopted. He thought this was his father that he was that he kid. He had to have known because it was like five or six. A five or six-year-old is going to understand Dude, being I can't. I can't tell you shit when I was He had his own journal. Six. Yeah, he, had, he was able to write a journal. I, I didn't get the idea that he didn't know that he was adopted. Uh, did they say that? Well, yeah, because they mentioned in the movie how they passed him off as the kid because they said that the kid went to another country and was healed and came back fine, and that was the new kid. They just killed the old kid and replaced him with the new kid, and everyone shut up about it like it was fine. They they didn't. He yeah, didn't adopt I'm, somebody. I'm I'm with Lindsay on this one. I never got the opinion that that the Carmichael that we saw in the movie knew any of this stuff. No, that's what I'm saying. He doesn't um, know it. As far as he knew, he was the kid from before because he was so young that they raised him as his son. 
And when you're five years old, even if you have a journal, I'm sure you can brainwash a kid into thinking, no, you're my son. Of course you are. Here's pictures of you. Here's memories. They gaslit the kid into thinking he was their son, which is why he was so upset at the end and was like, no, that's impossible. My father would never do that. I don't think he knew he was adopted. I think he thought he was that kid. That's what I got I from I it. don't know, man. I don't man, know. I, 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 I have very, to look it up. Well, and, and importantly, you get the same outcome. You get the same outcome no matter way. what. Yeah. 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 But now I, think it, now I don't ranted. think it affects it that much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just, I didn't, I didn't consider that. No part of me thought that that was the case, but I don't, I don't guess it makes too terribly huge a difference. I mean, he did sort of, and maybe this is just me reading too much into his performance, but he did sort of give off the vibe that he yeah. suspected something was wrong. So I, I got you. Um, I got you. John discovers that Joseph Carmichael was a crippled and sickly six-year-old boy who was murdered in 1906 by his father because he was unlikely to reach the age of 21 upon which he would have inherited an enormous fortune, blah, blah, blah. To ensure the inheritance, Richard replaced the dead boy with one procured from a local orphanage and spirited him away to Europe under the pretense of seeking treatment for his condition. After years away, he returned with the boy when he was 18, claiming that he was cured. So yeah, okay. he, he just replaced the boy and everyone just assumed it was the same kid because he had been gone for, at that point, what, 10, 11 years? And he came yeah. back healed and they were like, yeah, see, my son's fine. Everything's good now. And he didn't know that. So at the end, when he finds all this out, it's not just the fact that, hey, your dad killed this kid. It's you thought you were this boy and you are not. None of this is yours. This was some other kids and you were just given his name, basically. Yeah, I, and now I feel like we were saying the same thing, and and maybe I'm maybe I'm confused. We probably were. Know. We probably were. I, but <laughs> I get on my tangents, and I want to make sure my voice is heard. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's okay. It's okay. I will acquiesce to every bit of this. That's we're, that's fine by me. But either way, like you said, it comes to the same conclusion. The dude was basically told your entire life was a lie, and right. you deserve none of this. And by the way, your again, father his, was a fucking murderer. <laughs> Yeah, and his reaction, not only in that scene, but as he just looks at those two christening medals and just stares at that picture of his dad. Fucking incredible, man. Yeah, it, it, it was, was great. Just, it was a great scene. It was, great, it was scene. great. It was a really... Not often in haunted house films do they make you care about the people. In horror films in general, if you can have a horror film where right. you have a legitimate emotional connection with the characters, that's what makes yep. a good that's horror rarity. film. You, you have two kind of yep. great horror films. You have the one where you feel for the characters, like this movie, or like Hereditary. And then you have the ones where you don't feel anything for anybody, but you just enjoy the murder and carnage. That would be Terrifier, Jason, uh, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, shit like that. This is one yep. of the first kind of films. This is the kind of horror film that sticks with you after you watch it and you, you, you care about what happens yeah. to these characters. And that's, 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 that's like Lindsay said, that's rare. That's rare in horror, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Usually it's, Oh, these people are assholes. I hope they all die. That's every Friday, Friday. the 13th film. <laughs> Did you mean Friday the 13th part four? Which yeah. we watched back in October? <laughs> yeah, every Friday the 13th film, except <laughs> maybe the did. first one, maybe the first one. All right. Yeah. That's us talking about the film. Let's get to the reviews real quick. Let's, let's, let's get to the, the meat and taters of this, this thing. So, as as the resident horror fanatic, I took the title from Tanner because, as far as I know, he's still never seen Predator. He doesn't get the title back till he till he watches Predator. Um, Is that what we do? We watch Predator sometime this year and make him watch it with us, and then and come on the show. Finally, he better he can praise finally it. claim us. He better praise it. We finally got Cody to watch Ghostbusters. It's not out of the Lindsay, question. 
Lizzie said no because she knows what you're going to be like when he's like, yeah, I didn't care for it. I thought it was dumb. I'll tear him apart. I can no, only... I don't think you'll get him to watch it. I can only oh. have so many of my favorite films be unliked by the cast. Like, it hit me with American Werewolf. It hit me with Gremlins. I can't I can't have another one. Like, it, I, didn't, I didn't hate American Werewolf. I, I think I gave it one up, one down, didn't I? I mean, it was down the middle. I, I, think, just, I just didn't love it. And, and I did... So yeah, this movie That's okay. So this movie this film in particular um I liked it. I liked it. I asked Hunter what he thought of it beforehand because I was just kind of curious to see where his yeah. mind was. I don't know how much he liked it. We'll find out in a second. But um I love all kinds of horror and the one kind of horror you don't see enough of are the slow-paced haunted house films that are worth a damn. Too often than not, especially nowadays, a haunted house film is almost entirely shot from first person's perspective. It's it's like a documentary mm-hmm. style, and it's always got schlocky effects. It has the one of my least favorite things, and it's in every ghost movie, and you know what I'm talking about, is that scene where they're all standing around and you see someone walk in the background, like behind the yep. door or something. I hate that shot. Yeah. How many times can you have that same shot in a fucking horror film? It's it's ridiculous. So the only person, sorry, real quick, the only person still doing that well is Mike Flanagan, and he's not making movies; he's making TV. That's true. He's the only guy who still pulls that off. And even then, the like, how many ghosts are in this scene thing is getting a little long in the tooth. It was done best in Haunting of Hill House. Yes, everything since then has been diminishing returns. He did a couple of decent ones in Follow the House of Usher, but anyway. Well, even even with uh, with Flanagan, I agree with you, and I think the fact that he doesn't announce the ghosts. Like with his, yeah. it's literally the ghosts are in the background. Did you spot it? With most right. horror films, it's very much in your face. Like there's always a, a noise. Yeah, there's a music cue or something. <laughs> and it just gets old. This movie didn't do any of that. This movie was very well done. It was very intelligent, very mature. When people talk about mature films, it almost always equals, you know, cursing, uh, sex, nudity, and that kind of thing. To me, this or the most boring thing you've ever seen the, in your life. Something that you can't stay awake for. <laughs> um, this is not that. This is a very mature film and legitimate, legitimately mature film. I'm so sorry, guys. I'm still out of it. Um, You're right. It was very well done. It was intelligent. It was smart. It didn't treat you like you were an idiot. It didn't insult your intelligence. It didn't try to scare you with fakery or um, cheap tactics. This is a lost art of horror film. And even though I didn't love the film as in like, this is going to go down as one of my all time favorites. I 100% respect the fact that this movie told a serious horror film and didn't cheap out. They didn't take the, the low road. They did it their way and they, they made it correctly. So I am giving this film one thumbs up. I thought it was good. I think you should watch it if you're a horror fan and you're looking for one of those quote unquote hidden gems that maybe you haven't seen yet. Don't go in expecting a roller coaster. Don't go in expecting to get your socks scared off of you, but you watch it at night. You you sit there and you pay attention. It's going to creep under your skin and you will, by the end of the movie, go, not only was that a, a, a good creepy film, but it was well done, well acted, well scripted. It was a good horror film so one thumbs up from me yeah um you nailed it there are a couple of times that you and i do this and, and even though it sounds like we're talking about different things throughout the movie then we end up in the same page i'm also going to give it a, a single thumb up i 
really like this, and there's definitely part of me that got very close to giving it two thumbs up. Um, I will say, since I've said a lot of positive stuff uh, on the negative side, um, we we talked about the length earlier, and again, it is it is a mystery more than it is a, a horror movie. So going over um, that that middling sweet spot of of ninety minutes is okay. But I did think there were a few times where I thought, okay, let's let's speed it up a little bit, right? We're we're Things are slowing down. Uh, scenes maybe take a little longer than necessary. There's not nece- there's not the need to establish as much of a mood as late in the movie as they are. And so there are times that after the ball gets rolling that I feel like that it got uh, slowed down a little bit. This is one of the few times that I've, I've kind of had to resist the urge to pick up my phone while we've been watching a movie like this mm-hmm. because there were a few times that I just okay, I, I get what's happening. Let's let's move along because one of the big problems with doing and I don't want to call it a tropey movie because it's not uh, not super anyway. I mean, it's a haunted house movie, so you expect a few of those things. But um, coming to mind immediately, the the scene with uh, the older woman that works at the Historical Preservation Society, when she does the thing on the terrace where she comes out and says to him, you know, you never should have been in that house. <laughs> so there was a problem with it. And she just turns and walks away. I'm like, OK, I mean, you could have pulled her out of a stock catalog of characters. Yeah, it, right? it, it like, was the it was the Stephen King of the John woman who knows too much <laughs> going away up there. eh? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, why? Yeah. What's wrong? Yeah. It just leaves. That's it. <laughs> I um yeah, I could have lived I could have lived without that. And I, I honestly looking back at it, the, the scene with the, the policeman, um ultimately really the, the more I think about it was was unnecessary. You could have skipped that portion, uh, because him coming to the house, arguing with Russell, leaving, being killed, definitely ups the stakes a little bit. Like we see, you know, like you said, kind of how powerful uh this uh joseph is in, in his undeath uh you see you know you get to have actually what ends up being a pretty great scene with russell and this cop arguing it's just a good opportunity for george c scott to to be a good Act. actor again right yeah but but totally every bit of it could have been removed and the movie plays out almost exactly the same um short of basically uh the the senator wanting to to meet with with russell but i mean frankly again you could have cut all that out he goes to run onto the tarmac he gets restrained the senator later can't resist his curiosity he wants to know what happens and he calls him in bing bang boom you're done um so it's not it's not perfect there are some parts that i think are a little slow uh there are also and i think you were alluding to it earlier but you you didn't say it out loud um george c's got the best actor in the whole thing and part of it because he's playing it so straight even if that sometimes plays against the movie um his wife on the other hand boy she just she just loses it at the end doesn't she oh she she um, yeah she breaks down hard and don't get me wrong some of it was great the the shot oh man there's a great shot that's uh parallel to the the um no, not parallel perpendicular to the steps and she's walking away from him and crying she stops and looks up at the top of the steps where the wheelchair is the look on her face and they linger on it for a little bit before he finally comes over and looks to see what she's doing and then the camera turns the look on her face is great that was a great horror look because she doesn't scream she doesn't freak out it's that little like your your breath gets caught in your throat and then she just stares dead ahead at it just freaked out that was good um her getting chased by the wheelchair was a, a little it was a little much that's, i, I like the idea i like the idea behind it but she was it's <laughs> part of me was watching it and remembering that movie or that that scene from the it's either the first or the second scary movie where the skeleton is chasing them and she turns around and she's like what are we afraid of? It's a skeleton. Yeah. It's just yeah. bones. What's it going to do? You know, the yeah. wheelchair. I'm like, you could probably lift that thing up and throw it with one hand. Lady. I, like, I was curious about that part too. Cause again, like if, if this kid can lash out at people like this, like why her first off, like 
who are you angry <laughs> yeah. at, kid? Like yeah, she hasn't she hasn't done anything to be. Which I mean, you know, again, it's a it's a spirit. It's not like a fully uh, yeah, manifested it's, presence. It's a mad so kid. it's not always going to be there. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I there were things about it that I I didn't love, and I think could have maybe been done better or just been kind of omitted to, to cut down a little bit on the runtime. So I'm going with a single thumb up, but I will say I do strongly recommend it. If you like horror and you like mystery, you should watch this movie. Um, I went into it a little concerned because it, it was so old and kind of unknown and I didn't really know what I was getting into, but that's what uh, January has been all about. Uh, and this has for me been one of the, the better come arounds to the point that I think I've said before, two thumbs up is usually where I land. If it's a movie that I like, I do intend to watch again. Uh, this is a rare exception where I'm, I'm giving it a thumb up, but I really do think I'll watch this again. Uh, I think come, come Halloween, Sarah even liked it. She liked it quite a bit actually uh, when it was all said and done. So I, I think come Halloween, we'll, we'll probably give this one a shot again. If not this year, then in the future, we'll revisit it. To me, this is the opposite of um, a film. I won't say again, because a film a film that I talked about before recently frequently I say is a great film to watch with friends it, you know it's it's one of those everyone grab a soda and just go oh my god that's ridiculous and laugh about it this is the opposite of that watch this in an intimate setting someone you yep. love maybe a friend or two everyone sits down and they watch it and you get into it this is a movie you can yep. get into um, you, Tokyo Gore Police is a a movie that you throw on and everyone gathers around right if, if you can get people to do it <laughs> this is a movie this i'm sorry this is a film that you screen this yeah. is something that you you literally make a point to we're all gonna sit and we're gonna watch this and, and and just watch it as a film but this is what i love about horror i just want to say this before we get to Lindsay. this is what i love about horror i know every every genre has its own versions right like you've got different styles of comedy etc etc but to me horror is the best kind of film because there are so many different variations you have the slow haunted house film that you can enjoy as a serious movie you have stuff like tokyo gore police which i really the more i talked about it, the more i did enjoy it as an over-the-top gore fest you have stuff like american werewolf in london you have stuff like um of uh, scream i mean there's scream, so the shining. yeah it's just it's it's unending yeah. it's unending the styles of horror and you can get so much from it and for horror to be ignored so much by bring it back to him the academy award who treats horror like the red-headed stepchild it's ridiculous horror is some of the highest grossing films horror films have some of the most talked about performances see of uh, tony collette in again hereditary the, the fact that the academy ignores horror and treats it like a like a, a mistake is I hate it. And that's why I've never taken the Academy seriously. So, and why I never will. I, pr I promise. I don't want to delay Lindsay too much longer here, but I, I looked out of curiosity and this is just about best picture. Um, only six movies in history have ever been nominated for best picture at the Oscars. That could be considered horror movies. And only one, um, one, right? Only one, one. And which you're is... probably going to have a problem with some of them as, as horror movies. So, you know, the one, which is silence of the lambs. Which, right, which which they had to portray a, as a detective thriller just to even get it nominated right, basically yeah right exactly um the exorcist which is whether you like it or not it deserves is, it is demonstrably a horror movie it deserves yes. it yeah um jaws which deserves I, it. I think yeah, yeah it, it, yep. it's a, it's a um it's a slasher it's a horror creature movie feature. that takes place with an yeah it's a creature yeah. feature um the sixth sense I'll give it to it. Like it's a horror it's, film. It's I don't more like of it. a suspense, yeah. but it's it's not yeah, my it's, it's it's not my favorite movie. It's not even right. my favorite Shyamalan movie, but sure. Uh, Black Swan. 
I liked yeah. Black, I liked Black Swan a lot, but I would hesitate to call it horror. Yeah. Same. That that was more of a psychological drama. Right. And and probably the other than the exorcist the strongest like you're not going to put it in any other genre as a than, than horror. Uh get out in 2017. Yeah, which was again to me was more of a psychological drama but i i could see the horror elements i horror is also it's it's wide it's a wide net like you can put a lot of stuff under the horror genre and you can make a good argument for all of those movies for a especially for an african-american person i'm sure get out was fucking terrifying um the the, the themes in that movie um yeah (laughs) so yeah 100 and it was a great movie too It, it really put jordan peele on the map um, yeah. which I I love Jordan Peele I, as, I as a horror Peele. director anyway. He right, because he he's was also definitely on the map for, things, for comedy. But, yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, Lindsay, go ahead. We're we're done rambling. What do you think? <laughs> That's okay. Um, for the most part, I feel like I was more neutral on this, but I also was engaged with it the whole time. I didn't have my phone. I only stepped away once to get some more water because I was thirsty. Like, I was invested in what was going on. And this is more my kind of horror that I like. I like the suspenseful, the slower buildup. I don't like the gore fest. I don't like the slasher, murder porn crap that's all out there. Jesus Christ. Um, But I also agree it's more of a murder mystery, and I'm a sucker for a good murder mystery. I'm never correct on (laughs) on who it is, but I I like them. I love the music in it. If if you Um, like those kind of things, that's a blessing. Yeah, yeah. because it doesn't ruin it. I I agree the composition in it was gorgeous. It's been a long time since, like – the college brain has come back in, but I, every now and again, while I'm watching a film, I'll be watching it. My brain's like, Ooh, that's a good shot right there. They've got really good lighting. And it's been a while since I've done that. Like, um, one shot in particular, when he's coming back out of that little room and there's all the different like shadows and different like block lighting from the different doors and windows. I'm just like, that is a gorgeous shot. Like this whole little scene, you could freeze it at any frame and it could be a good, like still shot on its own. Um, so I was drawn in on a lot of like the technical aspects of it as far as that goes. Um, originally, I was going to do one up, one down, but I think I'm also going to go with a single thumb up because I was invested the whole time. I wasn't bored as far as that goes. Um, as much as I feel like I am neutral on it, I don't know that I would go back and rewatch it, but I would agree. I would recommend this to someone to watch if it's if. Even if they just have a list of, hey, I've never seen these movies, I want to watch something new. Because, like, we did that in college. We made a big old list of films that we had never seen. We'd go to the movie, the whatever rental store we had at the time, pick up a couple movies for the weekend that none of us had seen, and we'd work our way through them. Like, this is a good one of those. It's hard for me to rewatch any films these days, but horror, especially uh, mystery films, to me, once you know the answer know to the mystery, the yeah. it's it's yeah. harder to go back and watch it. Um, I would recommend this as a first time watch for sure, but I don't know if this is one that I would play regularly. For me, for a horror movie, especially for to be one that I watch all the time, it needs to have a like a really good sense of humor. See Ghostbusters, American Werewolf in London, yeah. um, or it has to be so over the top, like oh my god, I can't believe my eyes, Gremlins, uh, one that's like you know, whoa, like what am I watching? Whoa. Whoa, whoa. whoa. This movie, though, its strength is almost a detriment to it in that it's a well-done mystery film, but once the mystery's solved, you can watch it back for the performances. You're kind of done with it. But you're kind of done with the mystery. Uh, But it's absolutely worth a watch. I I agree. It was a good film, and I'm glad I finally got around to watching it. Yeah. Uh, um, 
I don't know if you can do an epilogues on this. Um, at least as a movie pitch, I think as character wise in my head, and I don't know if this is what would happen, but I think going through something like this, it doesn't, you almost think he's going to find some kind of, uh, some kind of peace at the end. Like maybe his experience with this ghost will help him come to terms with what happened to his family. No, you don't get that. The ghost burns down the house. He barely escapes. And importantly, Joseph doesn't get any of that because Nobody I mean, does. the scene yeah. shows the the wheelchair does not burn with the mansion, and neither does the the uh, music box, which yeah. of course then starts playing again. So he still hasn't found any rest, and and neither has uh, has uh, Russell. Um, and I'll, and I'll the senator's dead too. So he right, had a heart attack. Gone, so, so yeah, I mean that's and the, and ostensibly that's where the the revenge lies right because i mean the father's long since dead so there's no one else really to perpetrate this anymore and yet at the same time like you said carmichael himself if we're just going to call the the senator that um he he was a victim he was a victim he was innocent right he he was a child he didn't have a say in anything whether okay going back to that that discussion we had whether he knew or not he didn't have a say in it he was a child Mm -hmm. right so by the time he did have a say in it there it was too far in there was nothing he could do um but I'll, I'll take a I'll take a swing at it. I will say that I think that um, Russell probably got as much closure as he's going to get. I mean, his wife and son are gone, and there's nothing that can be done about that. Uh, that's a totally separate thing. And really, after the uh, you know initial scene, it's referenced a few times, but we're never given any indication that he has any uh, contact with the person who did it. We don't know if the person who people who were involved in that wreck died or whatever. Um, I think his story is as resolved as it's it's going to get. Um, and but he did think, to- by the way, I just want to mention real quick, we didn't mention this during the talk. He did have that moment where he believed, I think, he thought this spirit was his wife or daughter because there's a yeah. part when he's doing the seance and they said, you know, are you, it was something like, are you the, the child of John Russell or whatever? And, and it said, no, they panned to yeah. him for a second and he has a small look on his face of like disappointment yeah. because he was hoping it well, was. There was also well, that the red ball being thrown down the steps and stuff. Like- yeah, right. And they threw a red herring in there of there was a, a girl killed uh, who ran out in the street in front of the mansion, and so they thought it was her. Mm, uh, and then yeah. that doesn't come to, that doesn't come to pass at all. Um, I think I think your sequel because at this point I feel like when I do epilogues, it's not always just where do these characters go after that. It's like what do you, how do you continue the story? What happens there? I think your sequel as as um, maybe hackneyed in a way as it is has got to focus on on joseph to some degree still he still has not um found any peace found any rest the mansion itself is gone but you know those things are going to be moved somewhere the lull- right. or the music box the lullaby music box at least um so i don't want to turn this into like a conjuring universe type thing but you know you get a couple of paranormal investigators involved and hell i mean given the time frame in which this is taking place ed and lorraine warren are at their prime when all this is ongoing um you could probably get them involved in some way or some you know surrogate versions of them uh have those those artifacts move somewhere else where they continue to to manifest uh somebody else is going to rebuild on that property as well the 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 um the house where the well was that's done because the skeleton's been removed the the medallion's been removed um but yeah i mean if if that uh i hell, honestly you could start a sequel with them going into bulldoze the existing deal and not realizing the wheelchair is there and so they destroy it but of course that doesn't remove it uh and and you know 
putting a new property up there. Uh, where it goes from there is, is super nebulous. <laughs> I got you. Horror, right? I got I mean, you. No. So, all right, take it and run with it because I set up as much as I could. So there's a part where the guy um, who ordered the thing to be destroyed, the one that's taking care of the land, he's he's walking to his car from his office at night. He hears like something squeaky, and he's like, "What is that?" So he's walking down the hallway from his office. He keeps hearing squeaking. It's night. No one's around. He's like, what is that? And then he turns around to his whore. There's the wheelchair and the wheel starts, starts chasing him. So he runs out to his car. He gets in his car. He drives away. He's like, oh my God, what the hell was that? And he looks at his rear view mirror. The wheelchair's in the car with him. It's in the car. It's in the car. It's in the car. It's a- <laughs> no, I was going to say, realistically, I-, I won't say what would happen in a sequel. I'm actually going to take it the other way, like the original vision of the show kind yep. of. And I think that John Russell himself... I believe he doesn't let it end here. I think after this, he presents his evidence, especially now that Carmichael's dead. There's no reason not to. He presents the evidence. um, He tells the story of what happened. Even if it's not believed at first, rumor catches on. Maybe there's some justice for Joseph at that point, and his soul can finally rest now that the world knows. Because I think that's what he wanted originally. He wanted the world right. to know he what happened to him. So I think John does that, and I and that's what I thought was going to happen in this movie. I thought towards the end that's what would happen, and then John would have his peace because he helped this boy spirit transfer over and find peace and that that would give him some kind of closure but that never happened but i feel like that's what should have happened like he should have exposed this and then he should have finally gotten the peace and maybe even started a relationship with uh the other character i forget her name but played by his wife which it's implied that they it is implied yeah quickly you're you're describing you're describing the mystery ending. Had this movie been strictly classified as a, a mystery with some supernatural elements, that's the ending. I think where it leans more toward being a horror movie is ending the way that it did, because that's the horror ending. That is the no horror ending. No one really gets what yeah. they want, and you get that that tweet tease of, but he's still out there somewhere. And, and that is such a modern ending in these days mm-hmm. of counterculture and, and ending everything yeah. on a down note in, in horror, especially except nowadays it wouldn't have just been that ending. It would have been the wheelchair ended up coming back after John the next night and choked him out in his bathroom and killed him or something. It would be something stupid like that. Uh, it was a very well done ending that left it open without completely like throwing it in your face. And I really like that. And I think part, I we didn't mention this, uh, but I'll mention it now and I've already closed the notes down. So if you have the notes here, maybe part of the reason this felt so genuine is because this was allegedly, and I say allegedly because we do host a show called, I want to believe on the network where we talk about yeah. the paranormal, but we're not automatic believers ourselves. Everything ha- should be met with skepticism. This was allegedly yeah. based on a true story. Yeah. There's a, a writer by the name of uh, Russell Hunter who was living at a place in Denver, Colorado called the Henry treat Rogers mansion. It was a historical location. Uh, he rented it temporarily while he was in town on some work uh, in the sixties. Um, in this movie, they mentioned something called Chessman park, which is where that little girl supposedly ran out into the street. Um, if I remember correctly. So that is a reference to the real life Cheeseman park, uh, in Denver, where this whole thing originally supposedly, uh, transpired. Uh, I, I went through and read that story today and I'm not going to pull it up cause it's, it's super lengthy, but if you, if you go look that up, the Russell Hunter story, um, Importantly, there are a lot of disbelievers. There are a lot of people who say that the historical records don't line up to supposedly when he says all these things happened or how they could possibly have happened. But it is damn near word for word what this movie ends up being. 
it's very much a guy moves into a, a house. I think he was a film composer in this case, if I remember correctly, but he was a composer. Um, he started experiencing these odd things, the knocking at 6 a.m. every day, uh, the red ball like coming down the steps. He literally finds a, a space behind a, a stairwell. I mean, again, almost word for word. And then I think even the mansion burned down at one point in time. So uh it's it's really strange but it, it played out a lot like a movie and and then they just made it into one yeah and well done at that all right well that yeah. is the review for the changeling sergeant starring george c scott good movie make sure Not you check it give out me a shot oh i <laughs> okay sorry i'm not used to the guests like- doing it honestly <laughs> go ahead well it's kind of a playoff between the two honestly that i don't think he ever gets anyone to take him seriously on the ghost. But the uh, girl that saw it as she becomes a young woman is being tormented by what she saw as a kid and needs to find closure for herself. So finally bugs her mom to find out more about what was going on because she's young enough they wouldn't explain any of it to her as far as that goes. She'd just tell her you're having nightmares. And she hunts John down, finds the actual story out. They go back to where the house is. There is something new built up. There is still stuff going on. And then finally, they put Joseph to rest in getting the information out there and it being known. And despite her being the one to solve it, he gets all the credit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pretty much. He yeah. gets nominated for, for an Academy for Award. Academy Award for Best Ghost Hunting. <laughs> yeah. That's showbiz, baby. All right. That's that's it for us tonight. But uh, we have one more New Year, new movie next week, the 31st, the very last one. Uh, but we're not going to say what it is yet because I don't think we know. Right, because we have not decided. Right. Well, again, we mentioned this on, on last night's show, but last week we talked about wanting to watch Goodfellas. Turns out that it's not streaming anywhere unless you pay for it. And I'm not totally opposed to it because apparently it's one of those all to change your life type movies. Uh, but we'll we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. In any case, what we watch next week will, as as January has been, uh, be something that we have not seen. That's right. Go back and check out last night's episode of PZ85 Plays. It was the first episode of our Deadlands House on Haunted of Horse. What is it called? House on, well, that's what it's called now, the House on Haunted Horse. Uh, it's called Horror at Headstone Hill. Yes. So we did episode zero a couple of weeks ago where we just kind of described our, our characters and what was going on. This was a true introductory play session where uh, you get to actually meet the characters in their setting, get them all together. And uh, yeah, I think it was a lot of fun. Uh, it gave you an idea of what this world's going to be like. And Kaz is trying so hard. Nothing but credit. He's he's doing yeah, like he's working he's so, so hard on this. Yeah. It's a little unbelievable. Uh, tomorrow we've got an all new episode of After Dark. Lindsay, what is our top five? Our top five favorite fictional ducks. Now wait, did we say they had to be fictional? I got a ducks. lot of mallards on my list. Okay, fine, <laughs> just ducks. That's fine. Whatever. And it and it is we're we're doing the draft, right? It's the duck draft. Yes, yes. Top five we'll duck the draft. draft. PZ85 presents tomorrow, The Duck Draft. Dun, dun, dun. What is wrong with you? All right. (laughs) How much? (laughs) That's it for us tonight, ladies and gentlemen. The theater is closed. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you tomorrow for After Dark. Hunter, uh, duck us out. I just, shit, I just didn't. Hang on, no. Again.